From the Daily Northwestern, this is The Weekly. I'm Molly Glick. And I'm Sam Burnett. It's week eight on campus, and I love fall in Evanston. The changing leaves, not going to football games. This week, we're talking about Northwestern's D1 comedy scene, something that's hard to miss on campus. We spoke with two heavy hitters whose names you'll probably recognize, Nabil Muscatwala and Grace Dowling, about the representation of marginalized identities in Northwestern comedy scene. Here's a clip of Nabil live at Sit and Spin Stand Up from last year. Like someone asked me the other day what my biggest pet peeve was, and I thought about it for like a really long time. And then I was like, oh, it's when people ask me what I thought about the movie Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> 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 And they say it just like that, too. What did you think? <laughs> what? Are we serious? Why? Why is this happening? Why? Why is this a part of my life still? It's been eight years. Move on. Come on. Because then I gotta pretend I don't like it. I don't like it. Because then I gotta play the game where I pretend like I give a shit about Slumdog Millionaire. Like it's a big part of my life. It has this impactful for my people and my culture. Like me and my family huddle around every August 15th, Indian Independence Day, my fucking Indian flag jammies watching the thing. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. I sat down with Nabil on Tuesday in the mythical Einstein Brothers in Panko for a short interview. If there's something that is potentially polarizing mm. and awful, I might mean it, but I probably said it on accident. All right. So, well, we can put that in there. <laughs> so, could you just start by describing what you see as the problems with like inclusion, diversity in the Northwestern comedy scene? Ooh, okay, we're getting into it. Um, <laughs> a thing that I have noticed about comedy at Northwestern has been that it sometimes turns into something where it's just like a lot of the same sort of people get the same sort of opportunities when they have other outlets to do that. And I know that I am on the receiving end of that as someone who is part of more than one comedy group. Um, but, you know, freshman when I auditioned for all these groups and I didn't get, didn't get them, I felt truly on the outside. And I, and, I, and I looked at all these people who had multiple opportunities to do something that was really fun. There are so many people who are brilliantly talented but because they haven't been given the opportunity to perform on one of these student groups, they feel like they're not brilliantly talented. And I feel like that is, I mean, if that's happening all the time, and I feel like that's, that's a problem. Diversity and inclusion-wise, I think we're lucky on this campus because we're dealing with a community that sort of understands the problems with representation in, you know, in, in media and in Hollywood as it currently exists. I know, like, ODB is the multicultural group, and they were formed not that long ago. I don't yeah. know if you've, like, know anything about that. Absolutely. I, I love ODB so, so, so much. I think that it's very important that there is groups specifically dedicated, like, spaces dedicated on this campus um, for, for that in particular. They do more socially conscious comedy. To ignore doing that is to sort of let shit slide that's going on in the world even in a perfect world like what's what's like even in like a, an environment where we have a hundred percent representation whatever whatever that means whatever that utopia is even in that universe i think having spaces and groups dedicated to people of color is still important because i just think it's like more important 
uh, for the people of color themselves to feel welcome and comforted in that way and in those spaces. When you do comedy or write, do you try and like think about writing socially conscious? Or I think that this has been a little bit more relevant with, with me when it comes to, to stand-up just because that's like a medium where I can just sort of share personal sort of stories and those, whether intentionally or not, go a little bit more into the, the social category. When it goes to get published, I'm going to listen to it. I'm like, I don't believe that at all. I was just rambling. But I trust your judgment. Next up, I talked to Grace Dowling about a range of things, including her stepping on as host of The Blackout and frat boys in comedy. My name is Grace Dowling. I am a junior theater major and a film studies minor. I am a member of Titanic Players, um, which is a long-form improv team, and I'm also the host of The Blackout. How do you think the show is going to change having a female host? I think that there will be like a big change between the years. Um, I think structurally it will be pretty much the same. I am changing the monologue format a bit to make it less um, intro, setup, punchline, transition based and more like a kind of conversational stand-up monologue. I think that it will also draw a different crowd quite a bit. Um, Me and the previous hosts were involved in Greek life, so like oftentimes Greek life is a big part of the audience of comedy shows when they're friends and when they're like Greek life people are in it which sounds so dumb but I think that could be a big effect on like the gender of the audience I also think that maybe some people will come because there's a woman host and maybe some people won't come because there's a woman host you know like it's hard to predict what have your experiences been as a woman in not just the comedy scene, but also I noticed there's really a friend group around comedy too, and I think yeah. that plays a part. That is a very that's a very topical question in my life right now. I feel like this quarter has kind of been the toughest um, in terms of like I'm I'm also like a queer woman. I think that it's been like a pretty difficult like year, I guess, with that type of stuff. I also think that maybe because I'm older now, I'm a junior, maybe I'm the rose-colored glasses have finally worn off in terms of the community, and I'm just starting to acknowledge these microaggressions that I've been seeing, but it definitely is not as inclusive of a space as I wish it was, and that's it for a lot of different groups of people. I mean, that's for women, that's for POC, that's for queer people, et cetera, et cetera. The frustrating thing about it is that comedy thrives on perspective, right? So if you don't have, say for an improv, if you have a team of nine people and everybody has a similar perspective, then the improv is going to be like way less interesting to watch and to be a part of. Whereas if you have nine people who all come from various backgrounds and have different life experiences, it's much more likely that that improv will be heightened and be interesting and engaging. Um, So it's frustrating when you see kind of the same like straight white man over and over and over. And not to say that those people aren't some of my best friends because they are, but I think it makes for less interesting comedy when it's so homogenous. So you talked about microaggressions. Can you kind of go a little bit more into how you've experienced that or Mm -hmm. seen people experience that? So like I said, comedy thrives on perspective. It also kind of thrives on idea making and I think that those two go very uh, hand in hand when you're content creating in a writer's room oftentimes microaggressions will manifest in terms of speaking over people consistently or uh, the worst the worst (laughs) this one bugs me the most are you but 
do you understand? Are you understanding what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I have a vagina. I also have a brain, (laughs) you know, like they're not mutually exclusive that or just like disregarding ideas wholly without kind of considering them. Um, in improv, it can look a little different. It can look like not being a supportive scene partner or standing in front of someone or talking over someone, just generally not being very inviting into the space of improv, which should be like an incredibly inviting space. Uh, you should never be on stage and not trust your scene partner to support you in it. So it can look a lot of different ways. I think it also extends kind of outside of the rehearsal room. <laughs> I don't know. But like fratty comedy guys always seem to jerk each other off a little bit, you know? Just like, get away from me. <laughs> but yeah. Obviously everyone <laughs> thinks about race and gender in comedy, but um, less about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a space for that at all at Northwestern? There's really no space for queer people in comedy at all because it's not taken seriously as like an identity almost. And in the fact that it brings a new perspective, I think things like gender and race, um, while not always acknowledged and like respected, I think that they are considered in terms of like, creating groups and um or like writers together or something like that and like all groups across campus i think that gender and race are acknowledged whereas people really really ignore um queerness and i think that that is partially due to the fact that it's an invisible identity like not everybody shows their queerness externally but i also think it is a little bit of homophobia and i think that it's not considered something that is valuable or even considered something that is like, I guess, checked. I've seen so many student groups and that I'm the only queer person in them. It's an afterthought queerness. And how do you think that these things happening on campus translates to like the exports from Northwestern because we're known as kind of a comedy feeder? Yeah, I think, well, when you look at, I guess, the general population of the most famous comedians, how many of them are white? How many of them are straight? And how many of them are guys? Because I am willing to say all of them is what it feels like, you know? Like, unfortunately, the way that Northwestern's comedy scene works, um, it's a microcosm for the, like, greater comedy scene until we can kind of rectify that at all levels. Like, it'll just mirror that, I think, and kind of perpetuate that. Like, Northwestern is a majority white school, So if Northwestern continues that pattern and you still have students coming in who are specifically coming to Northwestern to do comedy, then logically the majority of those students are going to be white. And then when you graduate and you have the Northwestern stamp of approval and you go into the real world of comedy, like what's the ratio of white to POC that you're sending out? Still the same thing, you know, so you're perpetuating the system of marginalizing people. So what attracted you to the blackout? Because when I think of late night, I think of Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Jon Stewart, old white guys. Yeah. yeah. What what attracted you to that format? I know Eric Andre parodies it, but Mm -hmm. it seems like such a like stiff kind of thing. So that's kind of what I am trying to change. I think that last year, I loved last last year's season, um, but I think that part of it felt um, ingenuine to like the fact that this is a college show, like no matter how important and and how much we prop it up in our minds, like 
no one gives a shit about this. You know what I mean? Like, and that's totally fine. Like, you should give a shit about what you work on and not expect external validation. I'm not going to get up there wearing, like, a suit. And I'm not going to have, like, a band that I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> making, like, like we're fucking friends. You know, I'm not going to do that. But I want to make it seem like we're at a college show. This is a college, this is a 20 year old standing on stage pretending she's important. Hopefully I don't seem like I'm taking it too seriously. I don't want to take it too seriously. I also think that it's important to not just like allow late night to be these white men because it so is that to an infuriating level. It's like a useful format and I don't want to see any more white men stand on stage and like make like make jokes that they think are edgy you know I don't want to see that anymore I want to see people who haven't been represented people who are marginalized I find oftentimes have more interesting voices do you always want to hear the dominant narrative no like that's boring so I I think that it's important that late night doesn't look like that anymore And I hope that that's changing both in terms of like college level and it changes on like the actual large um, late night comedy level as well. You can find Grace and Nabil in pretty much everything. Titanic, NSTV, The Blackout, Meow. Check all those out. Next, we have our reoccurring segment, Week on the Street, where we talk to you, Northwestern students, on Sheridan Road and ask you about current events. This week, reporters Marissa Hatler and Natalie Shalotti asked about Parents Weekend and how they would divide up their reality show money. Hello, my name is Danny Callahan. I'm a sophomore studying neuroscience. Mitch Price, sophomore industrial engineering and political science. Trevor Leistad, I am a sophomore and I'm a social policy and economics major. Are your parents coming to Parents Weekend? They are. Yes. Yes. Do you have any fun plans with your parents? I'll probably like go out to dinner with them with like my friends, maybe take them to a tailgate, fuck around and uh, see what happens. I don't know, I don't know, man. <laughs> I think we're going to go into the city. We're not going to go to tailgates. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're going out to dinner on Friday, taking them to a tailgate on Saturday, and that's about it. Would you and your parents be friends if you were the same age? Me and my mom would definitely be friends because, like, she's the type of person that, like, refuses to not be friends with you if you, like, engage her in conversation. Me and my dad, like, probably not. I mean, like, we're friends as his 50-year-old self, but definitely not as his 18-year-old self. Definitely not. Maybe? I don't know. I'm gonna go with no. I would definitely be friends with my dad, and I would probably be friends with my mom. So recently the Kardashians released a statement saying that they're paid a lump sum for their TV show and it's up to them on how to divide the money. If your family had a a reality TV show, how would the money be divided? So objectively, like, my mom would probably get most of the money because of her, like, absurd spending habits. Like, she just, that would be necessary. My parents would probably insist they get the most, but then the TV producers would give me the most because I would give them the most to work with. I'd bring the funk, the entertainment. People would be waiting for me. I had fan club Twitter accounts. That's my vision for that reality TV show. And so I'm going to go with, there's a lot of us. So, like, I'm just going to say me. I'm going to say me. I would get most of it. Yeah, I'm an only child, so they would they would, they would, would give it to me. No, they're not very self. They're pretty selfless people. Realistically, 70% to my mom, 10% each for my brother, my dad, and myself. Okay, anything else you want to say about your parents? They're not as controlling as Kris Jenner. <laughs> I love them very much, and I cannot wait to see them. Sadly, that's it for this week. Thanks to me and Sam. 
and Marissa and Natalie for reporting and producing. Please, please, please subscribe on SoundCloud and or iTunes. Also, I'm extremely sad to announce that this will be Molly and I's second to last time ever narrating and hosting the weekly. Which means it's especially important for you to tune in next week for our last episode as audio editors. Goodbye. (laughs) Okay. (laughs)